Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Jumbo, Abibi Fahodier, African family. This is the African Liberation Media. Baba Makaru here with the warrior brother Amos Keprakara, and we have two outstanding guests in the studio this evening, two of Charlotte's foremost social activists, and we brought them in to discuss the, the latest things that are taking place in the Charlotte community to, to make the entire African world aware of what's going on. We are joined by my sister from Buffalo, New York, Patrice Funderburg. Hello, hello. And my homeboy from West Boulevard, <laughs> hey, hey. Where, where I grew up, Brother Gemini Boyd. Welcome, Brother Gemini. <laughs> hello, hello. All Thank right, you for all me. right, all right. So, just as uh, just by way of of, of an introduction, uh, Brother uh, Sister Sister Funderburg is the founder of Educate to Engage LLC. Um, she actually uh, started her uh, graduate, uh, postgraduate education, well, postsecondary education at North Carolina Central University, which Brother Amos is a graduate of. Okay, Eagle Pride. <laughs> before Eagle she Pride. before she went on to uh, get her bachelor's from uh, SUNY and a master's from Canisius. That's right. And um, she's also involved in a number of activities. I actually met Sister Patrice by taking one of her classes which uh, is focused on uh, Professor Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow. That's right. So she'll be talking about that and some of the other things she's involved in. Brother Boyd is the founder of Project Boat, Building Outstanding Lives Together. Brother Boyd is a product of uh, the west side of Charlotte. Uh, He had his experience with the uh, prison industrial complex. Oh, and uh, he is, uh, you know, in my mind, based on a lot of the things I see him involved in, an example of a person following in the uh, footsteps of Malik El Shabazz, Malcolm X, our Prentice Bunchy Carter, and our own Adrian <sighs> Sundiata in terms of uh, transformation, transforming himself from the throes of delinquency and the throes of prodigality into a positive force in our community. That's so. Right. We certainly look forward to uh, to the conversation. We, we'll start with start with you, uh, Sister Patrice. Uh, why don't you tell us what what motivated you uh, to start educate to engage? Why did you choose uh, the new Jim Crow, the thesis of Michelle Alexander, as a focus uh, for the classes that you wanted to teach the community? What what was it that triggered you to uh, to move into this direction after? spending years working in uh, corporate America. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, And thank you for having us on the show. Um, The trigger is an inappropriate word. I was very triggered in July of 2016 when I went to bed one evening um, just shaking my head about seeing on the news Alton Sterling killed by the state in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Um, And I woke up the next morning and saw Philando Castile being killed by the state in the state of Minnesota in Minneapolis area. And um, I just had enough. Um, I run. And so I went to just kind of decompress and get some relief and self-care for a run. And um, I had what I'm calling an anxiety attack on that run. And my spirit just really, I think, kind of called out to I have to do something different. Like this is this is, you know, it's been ridiculous. Um, And I had left corporate America at that time. I had been gone for about six months um, and just decided that just no more, period. Um, I happened to be rereading Michelle Alexander's work at the time and on a road trip back home to Buffalo. Um, I came up with the idea to do some community education um, to really expose the truths of how the power and the roots of white supremacy are rooted in legislation um, and invite people into an experience on how they can um, 
become advocates for not just criminal justice reform, but radical transformation um, in our criminal justice system. I didn't know anything about any of the work. I just decided that her text and her scholarship was a great tool for education, which I thought was missing um, very much so in the communities where I was working in the corporate space and also in the the greater Charlotte community. Um, And I just went with it. I just followed my heart and followed spirit and came up with this curriculum, did a lot of self-study, met some folks who are national organizers and have some scholarship in popular education and put together this six-week program that just kind of took a life of its own once we got started. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 indeed. And I attended, I think, maybe a second class. I'm not sure. Yeah, it was the session. The first six-week session ended the week of um, the week that Keith Scott was murdered by CMPD. Mm -hmm. And I believe you came to the next session, which was like the fall session of 2016. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And it's a a very thorough examination of uh, Michelle Alexander's work and and one of the things that one of the things that we don't do, um, and this is a product of the the impact of Eurocentric thinking, is that we view things in fragments mm-hmm. rather than in terms of holistically. Mm-hmm. And what what Michelle Alexander has done in this book is she puts the whole thing together. You know, it's like when the young people are, are marching and they say, you know, indict, you know, send those racist cops to jail. The whole D system is guilty as hell. Right, right. Right. And so and that's what she does. And particularly, particularly the focus, one of the focuses, you know, we, we focus, we see the police. We we see the state sponsored violence. Mm-hmm. Right. We you know, we see um, Dan Queers, Franklin, Tamir Rice, Michael Brown. We see these all of these people being killed. Sandra Bland being assaulted. Mm-hmm. All Laquan these types. McDonald. Yeah, and just yeah. yeah, we could go on and on, right, right with, with with the names of the people, uh, Freddie Gray, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we look at we look at the the blue gang because they're out front. Michelle Alexander talks a lot about the prosecutors. Can you just? Just for the mm. audience, just talk about yeah. the critical role that they play in terms yeah. of how they make this whole uh, new Jim Crow work. Yeah. So um, the prosecutor really holds the power. Um, I think it's chapter three or four in the book. And she sort of breaks down how the prosecutor can sort of argue based on key legislation. McCleskey Kemp is the key legislation that basically ruled that the elimination of racial bias um, could not be um, argued in any case involving law enforcement. And it stemmed largely from prior legislation around Fourth Amendment rights, which we now know as like stop and frisk and pretext stops and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the prosecutor really does hold the power to sort of use the legal interpretation of um, the Supreme Court decision on on McCleskey Kemp um, around how um, decisions are made in the courtroom. Um, And is with that power, they have that sort of judicial discretion on the ways in which the judge can rule in particular cases. Um, the bench cards that the judge that the judges have around sentencing typically follow the interpretation of the prosecutor, particularly around in, in the in the text of the new Jim Crow on how drug sentencing laws were applied during the war on drugs. Right. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a key element that, that, that we often overlook. Now, uh, Brother Boyd. You were essentially one of the people that got caught up in the new Jim Crow. And for, for the, I'm, I'm sure most of our audience, you know, is aware uh, the title, the new Jim Crow uh, comes from uh, her uh, analysis of what took place. OK, so this is the way I look at it. Uh, the history of Africans in America is the history of three cycles of white supremacy and uh, two periods of uh, reforms. So we went from uh, chattel slavery mm-hmm. to the reforms of Reconstruction. Reconstruction was overthrown. And we actually had more laws on the books during Reconstruction that, than we actually have now to benefit African people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reconstruction was followed by the, what I call American apartheid, but which most people call Jim Crow segregation. So that was the original Jim Crow. Jim Crow uh, became, came under attack by the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, it legally, some aspects of it legally, was forced to collapse. 
and uh, it was replaced by you know the reforms of the civil rights movement. But then the white supremacy dynamic says, okay, so now what do we do? And one of the things they started doing was focusing on mass uh, incarceration, the mass incarceration of black people, the way the prison uh, complex has exploded. And one of the ways, one of the ways they began to do this was uh, under Richard Nixon, he launched the original war on drugs. When he, was, when he took office in 1969, he began to focus on what he called the war on drugs. And in conversations with uh, John Ehrlichman and others, you could hear him saying that we are going to specifically target the black community. Now, uh, those of us who were in the movement at the time, we could already see the influx of, what, of heroin into our community. That's what we were That's dealing right. with then. And, uh, and, the, and the, Im the impact that was having but it, 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 was, it was a way to, to siphon off a lot of the energy from the movement at the same time that they were, that they, that uh, before you could have a war on drugs, you had to have a massive introduction of drugs. Okay, so they introduced the drugs, then they declared the war on drugs. At the same time, uh, we were beginning to see the beginnings of deindustrialization, which put a lot of black males uh, in the urban centers where most of our people, a lot of our people had crowded at this time out of work. And so that and the expansion of the welfare state, which also removed a lot of black males from the home. So you got, you have dysfunctional families, you have no jobs, and all of a sudden you got drugs available for sale. So brother Boyd, now, now you grew up doing the second wave of this uh, war on drugs, uh, which was um, launched by Ronald Reagan. Uh, the uh, in, the massive introduction of crack cocaine by by the CIA in order to fund this war uh, against the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. Tell us about your experience growing up because you you got caught up in this as it as it yeah, took place. I mean because it was basically like all the things that you just had mentioned. They found ways to 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 cycle it back down in generations, and as during my incarceration. I just want to go forward a little bit because during my incarceration, I realized something that was happening in the 60s and the 70s. Then when Reagan came in the late 70s, early 80s, when he was declaring a war against the Black Panthers himself also, you know, that they were afraid of young black males such as myself to actually wake up mm -hmm. because the fear was they didn't never want to see something like the Black Panther Party again. again. Right. The fear was they couldn't stand to see another or George Jackson again. You feel what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Geronimo Pratt mm -hmm. and others. They didn't want that because they were already dealing with, uh, well, they had already been dealing with, with a Malcolm and a Martin. Mm -hmm. You know, and they didn't, these men, they were so prominent in our communities that I, I don't really think that people understand. You know, they don't really look at what they were doing at that time right. and the sacrifices they were making with their lives. And and Malcolm is one of my heroes. It's like him and Geronimo Pratt, mm -hmm. George Jackson. Man, I look at because I've read all their books. So right. the, the drug trade was passed down because they were trying to figure out a way to keep this incarceration thing going because of the fear of young black males waking up. Mm -hmm the fear of young black males organizing and, and, and putting the movement together because <clears throat> as time was moving forward, technology was getting more wiser. It was getting more advanced. So if the movement would start during that time, the movement would have been a hundred times stronger than it would have been in the sixties and the seventies, just from technology alone. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, when, when, when I got caught up in the drug trade is because it's what I seen every day. You know, I was a product of my environment, just that simple. Mm -hmm. You know, it was passed down from the 60s and the 70s to the late 80s when the crack era hit. Mm -hmm. You know, I was one of the ones that went to prison when, when Ronald Reagan and his wife were all on TV making those commercials about just say no to drugs. Mm -hmm. And people forget that when we used to see those commercials, the only people that we seen were black people mm -hmm. with, with stuff all over their mouth. And yeah. we were, we were called monsters mm -hmm. and everything mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. And we fast forward and now to where they're talking about heroin and even heroin back then was infiltrated in the black community. But we talk about heroin now and it's an epidemic. It's an epidemic. A health epidemic. Yeah. You feel it's yeah. a health problem. Right. right now it's a health problem right. because it's pertaining to white America. Mm -hmm. right. And it was, which is pisses me off, frankly, okay. to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because during my incarceration, you could see the shift 
in in the individuals that were coming in because the shift was starting to happen with the methamphetamine when white boys were coming in there now with 30 and 40 years. Mm. And as they were coming in there, I swear to you, I would tell people, boy, something to happen for black people for the simple fact that they're going to have to wait a few years after it happened for black people, that they're going to change the law for methamphetamine. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I know that's going to happen. I believe that they're going to change that, that the law for meth because they gave us something for crack. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They look at it as they was giving us a gift because people don't understand. If you take ice water, put it in the freezer and you put it in the freezer, it turns to ice. Right. right? You take cocaine, put it in a pot, heat it up. It turns to crack. Mm -hmm. You melt it back down. It's the same thing. It's the same drug. It's yeah. the same exact drug. Mm -hmm. But they gave it a name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They yeah. stigmatized it so they could make sure that they could get the people that they were looking for. Mm -hmm. And I ended up with a 50 year sentence behind that. So this was under the 100. The 100 to 1 ratio. ratio. 80, it was an 841 A1C was my statue. I was charged with a 922N, which was a conspiracy to a gun. They don't even make that. When they, when they came up with the 922N, it was the first time my case was the first case that they ever did in Charlotte, North Carolina. They don't even charge people with that charge no more because it was what, a what was it called? Nine twenty two N. Okay, and 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 what did it? What did it was a conspiracy to a gun. Conspiracy to a gun. Conspiracy to a gun. So somebody say you had a gun. Somebody said you had a gun. They never caught you. With never a gun. caught me with a gun. Okay. Say they, I had a gun. They caught you with some crack. Never caught me with no crack. Never caught you. Some, somebody. Said I had some crack. Okay. The whole thing was paperwork. There was right. no drugs, now, no did guns, you, did no you, nothing. Did you plead? No, no, sir. Okay. And that was, that was the whole thing. Okay. When people don't, people don't understand, there's 97.3% of the conviction rate in federal prison and state is due to plea bargains. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's what it's due to. Right. That other 2.7% of individuals that actually go to trial, I was in that category mm -hmm. because I refused to yeah, tell they, on anybody. And they try to throw the book at the people that do exactly. that. And, and one of the things that uh, that Patrice talked about, I know uh, when we were taking the class, and it, this is easy for me to say because I'm not facing charges, but quite frankly, if people would stop taking plea bargains, the, the law would change. Not the, Because the justice system would grind to a halt. Exactly. Right? Because now, now they would have to prove the Gemini boy had drugs and they and they don't have any proof. But what do they do? They'll dangle 50 years over your head and say, you take 50 or do you want 10 or whatever like that? And and, 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 and that's what and that's what people do. So did you wind up? Uh, were you in uh, Atlanta? or where I was at I was in Atlanta. I was at 10 different institutions, 10 different institutions, 10, di 10 different. And I call them institutions because that's what they were. They mm -hmm. were mental institutions. Okay. They weren't prisons. They were institutions. Okay. And they were mental pro mental institutions because you have to deal with with so much mentally when you're incarcerated. Right. It's, it's stuff that people could not imagine. Like the room that I was in was half of this room right here, and I shared it with another man. Okay. And it was literally half of this room. I say from me and Patrice over was a room, and from there over was another room. Mm. Okay. And I may be giving it too much credit, to be honest with you. Mm. Okay, now when 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 you were in, uh, based on your observations, uh, what was what was the prison population in terms of demographics when you were well, we moved, was moved from place to place. Blacks were predominantly the 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 shareholders okay. of the institution. I would say. Okay. But you start to see a shift with the Hispanics because they were locking up all the Mexicans. They was putting them on like fifty to a hundred count indictments. Mm -hmm. 100 people on one indictment, 50 people on one indictment, which they were doing at that time with us also. Mm -hmm. But the Mexicans started coming in so heavily and you just seen the shift in the prison system. Like, you know, what I'm saying like we are still the dominant ones in the prison system. Don't get me wrong. But now what they're doing, they're locking up all the Hispanics. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And, it, and it's all because white people fear being the minority when they already minority nationally world from Globally. a world perspective, Globally. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They already the minorities, mm -hmm. but they fear that w we will just take over everything. Okay. And that's what they fear. Okay. I, I want to ask you one more question. Then I want to go back to, uh, to Patrice. And that is, um, did you, did you have experiences? What was it that did, did, 
suddenly change your consciousness? Why, why you, did it take place while you were in prison or afterwards? I mean, was it, was it something studying on your own conversation with other people? What, what was it that made you realize that, okay, you are, what, what, how old you? I was 22. You was 22. Okay. But growing up, you had kind of turned towards the, the, the lure of, what Amos Wilson calls cramogenic America. It's a, a society which literally produces criminals. You had started in this direction during your teen years, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Okay. So what? I mean, so what? What was it when when you went back and reflected on? Um, well, first of all, let me ask you this: What were the influences that started you in that direction? Say at age. 15, 16 or whatever time. What were the influences? I don't I, I don't necessarily believe it was the influences. Mm-hmm. My father was murdered, so I believe it was him being taken away. Okay. That drove me in that direction. I, yeah. How old was he? How old I you? was fifteen at the time. He, okay, the tra- traumatic. 14 turning right. 15. Okay. You know, it really wasn't it really wasn't nobody that I looked up to because even the the old heads that were in the community at the time they may have been doing what they do, but they kept us in line. Mm-hmm. So I didn't look to want to be them. I wanted to be a basketball player, football player, baseball player. Those were my dreams and aspirations at the time. Okay. So it wasn't that I I, I was longing to be a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. It just so happened. It just it just happened that way because of things that it was, I was available for one. Exactly. It number was. one, it was available. It was number two. There were other people doing it and you obviously could see that they were making a lot of money. I, oh yes, they were because yeah. I started making a lot of money. So okay. I understood. Okay. And, but, but with, but with that, with that, I remember, I remember the spike. As a matter of fact, the, the, the number, the number of African uh, Americans that were being killed in Charlotte really began to spike in the late eighties, early nineties. And I think uh, 91, 92, one, they had the one, most. One twenty-one, I think, is still uh-huh. is still the most that that w- that we had. So, how, how how did the violence? You know what what was it that was it territorial things or was it? I mean, what what was it that 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 caused 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 this initial burst of murder of black on black violence? It was it was nationally though. Yeah, it was now. Na- you know not, what I'm saying? Oh, but course. even I'm yeah. just saying from a from the national perspective mm-hmm. of it that people were just seeing it happen everywhere, mm-hmm. and I can't really say that it was over territory. Some murders were over territory. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because you was doing, but some murders were because we were young and and stupid, mm-hmm. and we didn't understand what such things as historical trauma. Mm-hmm. We didn't know right. about stuff like that. Yeah. So we were acting out. And most of us had a damn mental problem mm-hmm. and didn't even know it. And guns were available. And guns were plentiful. Right. Just like they are now. Just like they are now. Because you know? because I, I want I want to come back and, and ask you, you know, what, what do you think contributes to the current surge? But uh, but before before we go to that, um, one of the one of the things that's taking place, it, it's been uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a slow, uh, slow moving molasses type of reform. But. But the prison population is shrinking. I think it, it was reduced by about 20,000 people uh, between 2017 and 2018 mm-hmm. uh, based on a, a recent study that I, that I just read. And when people come out of prison, something has to happen because <laughs> people are coming out, first of all, with severe uh, if they went in with mental issues, most you likely when they come out, they go have, like. they, they go have even more. <laughs> right. And and but and then they have the stigma right. of having to check the box. box. So now I know one of the things that both of you all are heavily involved in is uh, the transition work, the transition from from incarceration, you know, back to society. Can can you talk about that? And then I know both of y'all just recently attended the. Uh, Lobbying for the um, uh, what's the name the of the second bill? Chance. The second chance, the second act. chance act. So, just talk to me. Talk to me a little bit about that, and yeah. and and do do you do you see this as something that that remediates the new Jim Crow? Because <laughs> there's a lot, there's so much recidivism, right? right? 
Right. Um, so the the reentry work, um, the reentry work that I do with the Mecklenburg County Sheriff's Office, um, working in the jails, at, so teaching classes, so life skills classes, and then also mentoring specifically in the women's program. So working with women and girls in the program. I'm also a member of the National Council for Incarcerated and Formerly Incarcerated Women and Girls, um, together with a couple of women um, formerly incarcerated, also both from Charlotte that I really learned from. Um, because as a person who has not experienced incarceration, it's important for me to follow the leadership of directly impacted folks, right? Their mm-hmm. experiences are closer to the solutions than what people who haven't experienced incarceration could ever come up from research and data. Like people's lives are the data that we read about, mm-hmm. Um And so as an advocate and as an abolitionist, my work is to really amplify that, um, both on the inside as well with the work that I do in the Mecklenburg County Sheriff's Office, but more importantly on the outside through um, my lane and my space is around sort of the radical political education around this is our history. The the social order recalibrates, the power hierarchy of white supremacy recalibrates, and we've seen this from chattel slavery to today. And unpacking that, right, through Mm -hmm. the text of Michelle Alexander's work. Um, To the extent that that education can happen in the classes that I teach, Mm -hmm. um, and I I don't get kicked out of the jail, uh, we talk about it. Um, Because these are women who, through their experiences, will become a part of our community on the outside, um, helping with other women that are transitioning out, helping keeping girls out of the school to prison pipeline and uh, recycling some of that trauma that comes from the targeting and the surveilling um, and the growth in the prison industrial complex. Mm -hmm. So my work specifically is around the political education for um, folks that have either experienced incarceration or have proximity to incarceration and then really building a network of relationships around advocacy and what does that look like um none of what i do could happen if i'm not in community with gemini and others that Mm -hmm. have experienced incarceration and and I'll just go ahead and say I think that's a missing element in our community in Charlotte. Um, At the same time, the trauma that is associated with experience incarceration, there's an entire history, particularly for people from the diaspora around, I mean, whether we go from the epigenetics to post-traumatic slave disorder, we like all of that, um, that people in community um, either are not aware of or have been so focused on surviving mm-hmm. these systems of oppression that people don't have time, right? Um, it's just a matter about surviving the systems and structures. And here in Charlotte, logistically, the design of the city to keep them othered. Um, so reentry is a lot of layers to reentry. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about economic mobility in Charlotte, right? Um, in criminal justice space, housing is the bedrock of reentry, right? But our conversations in Charlotte around private equity investments and affordable housing, where those who hold power have redefined what affordable is because it doesn't capture the people who are most marginalized, mm-hmm. right? Which, and we're a majority minority community now. So right. the reentry work that I do in the lane around justice is helping folks whether it's aggressively or radically or in other ways, um, really understand and interrogate from the language that we are using around community issues specific to reentry and transition to how dollars and where dollars are being invested mm-hmm. around reentry and transition and holding accountable large institutions like Mecklenburg County that, you know, just two weeks ago, um, Uh, our county manager released the 2020 budget and there was a significant increase in not only the budget overall, but around criminal justice services. And where is that money going and how are those investments? You know, what is the impact of those investments on communities and specifically people that are most proximate to experiencing incarceration? We just don't see it. So as a person who has not experienced incarceration, I tend to intentionally lean my work around um Uh, resisting, if you will, the power structures from where I came and leveraging those corporate experiences that I've had in more radical, transformative ways, while also building community, uh, building a network community of 
um, folks that have experienced incarceration as well as other abolitionists in the space and being very unapologetic about that. Right. And, you Very. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we know Patrice. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I remember uh, they, they, they came up with um, this uh, pacifier after uh, Keith Scott was killed. They, uh, they, I can't remember the name of the what they called it, but they, they came up with some monies. Mm. And the monies w- were doled out to various organizations and hmm. organizations that I worked with, with which had a greater track record than most of the organizations. Uh, the male's place, uh, you know, <laughs> was denied. And people that had popped up out of the woodwork from nowhere. But the majority of that money went to something that was primarily occupied by people who were, in my opinion, part of the problem. It went to people that were in law enforcement, people hmm. that, that worked mm-hmm. in the in the exactly. court in the court system mm-hmm. of the of the bulk of the money. I forgot how much money it was, but I think the two hundred and some odd thousand dollars went to that. And then what you're talking about now in terms of the budget, they have ways of creating bureaucracies, right? Where 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 people get salaries, but the people who really uh, need the money the most are the people who really should be employed, right? To uh, uh, or not, but let me. But since you mentioned housing, let me ask you: uh, Does uh, in in terms of federal housing is is uh, sick Willie Clinton's one strike policy? Mm-hmm. Is that still the rule? If you one strike and you're out, do you remember Michelle talking about that? In the I book? do, I do, and I think Gemini, having had some experiences in that space, is probably better equipped to answer <laughs> that question. Okay. Um, I also know that the federal housing that was in Charlotte was recently closed. Um, And so what does that mean for folks that are transitioning at the state level? We Mm -hmm. return in Mecklenburg County, roughly about 13 to 1500 folks from state prisons in in the state of North Carolina. Um, The data is so disjointed in the federal system, in the BOP system, that it's hard to decipher um, the actual number of folks that are returning to Mecklenburg County. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, when and, and maybe we'll get into more policy language, there's a bill that was recently introduced to study criminal justice data. Mm-hmm. Um, that folks that are actors in our criminal justice system in Mecklenburg County are not even aware of that this bill was recently introduced. Is this a state bill or a federal bill? It's a state bill. Okay. Um, and we know where all the power is in our state of North Carolina is mm-hmm. at the North Carolina General Assembly. Mm -hmm. But when you have judges and district attorney's office and public defender's office, and um, I always challenge Mecklenburg County Criminal Justice Services from the jail population reports to the ways in which MacArthur Fund dollars, two and a half million dollars were invested in data, in reports, you know, not reinvested in community. Um, and there's a bill that has just been re- that was just introduced three weeks ago um, to study criminal justice data that is largely the lion's share of what MacArthur Fund dollars were supposed to be used for. And y'all don't know. They're going to study again. Right. And, you know, and, and, and see, and see, this is what I keep telling people when, when they come and say, go vote, go vote, go vote, go vote. OK, that's fine. But the most critical aspect of politics is being able to influence public policy. That's right. If you can't influence public policy, you have no power. That's right. You, you, you're just a voter. And that's all. I didn't when we were talking, I didn't get to I didn't I, I, I cut you off before I had a chance for you for you to answer this. What was it that you that 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 led you to turn around? You said the turnaround actually began in prison when you just looked at your whole history and saw how you had been caught up in this what was it or, or was it was it several things or uh, just how did it because it, you were incarcerated for what 20, 20 20 years 20 years okay it wasn't one of those like moments that you reflect back on and say wow that's what did it mm-hmm. it was a transformation over time okay and i always look back to malcolm and geronimo pratt and others i feel as though my connection Mm-hmm. with them is what really drove my change. Okay. You know okay. what I'm saying? Me right. understanding what them brothers went through. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt that I was connected to them. Right. Like right. I, that was me. Mm-hmm. You feel what I'm saying? Like I literally, I, and, and I still feel that way. Yeah. You know, that's why I am who I am today because I don't care about me saying anything to a public official. If you wrong, you wrong. I don't care nothing about 
who you are, what right. you are. You so feel you me? saw you so you saw that connection. I saw that connection and so, and from so, reading. Yeah, from from reading. From so reading you actually is what read, you read. Malcolm's I read. I read so George, many okay. books. All right, George Jackson's Blood you know, and Mind, Soul no. on Ice. So, I've read, and okay. my mother. I come home and my I, I'm telling my mother about all the the Black Panther books that I've read, and mm-hmm. she tells me she says, "Well, you know, when I was pregnant with you, I, I, that's all I read. That's okay. all I studied." I said, "Well." Maybe that's where it come from. Okay. You know? <laughs> but so, it was a transformation yeah. from reading because I knew right. over time I had to reinvent Gemini. You had to read. Okay. I couldn't come out who Gemini was to someone else. I had to just be a totally different person. Okay. Than, than who I used to be in the past. Right. Because that person, if I would have came out with the same mentality, I'd be dead by now. Right. Or be already be back in prison with right. a boatload of time. I know that for a fact. Right. Because I wanted to come out with anger from all the people who had testified on me. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to come out feeling a way that, you know, I got to come home and I got to get them yeah. because they mm-hmm. told on me. Right. I had to come home and just forgive all yeah. that and just Put move that, forward. Exactly. Keep moving forward because, you know, in order to transform, in order to be beneficial to yourself yep. and to others, you know, that's what you that's that's what you had to do. And so to me. I don't know how familiar you are with Bunchy Carter. Oh man, I love Bunchy. Okay, like that. Bunchy came out of the Slawsons, right? He was like mayor, that. He was mayor of the ghetto. Yeah. And so, that, <laughs> so, so when I was reading your story, you know, I've written on my blog, uh, you know, a couple of posts that, about Bunchy because Bunchy really doesn't get enough. He doesn't. Isn't, and, and and to me, Bunchy was Bunchy and Fred even more so. And than Fred Huey was my, my man. Yeah, yeah. The, Fred was my main man. Like when Fred came out, it's like he came from nowhere. You know what I'm saying? And when he came out, he had the people. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 what I uh, a, a, a admire about those brothers, man. They had the people. And you know when you got the people, you can move mountains. You can do anything. So I look to try to make the connection with the people because I want the people to understand that through you, we can dominate all this right here in this city. Exactly. But until you wake up, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to keep fighting for you right. until I go on the ground. Right. right. But I need for you to wake up. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? Because yeah. there's a lot of brothers and sisters, man, and sisters too. You know what I'm saying? That sacrificed and gave themselves up for this movement right here. Mm-hmm. Right. And people got to understand that. Exactly. And, you know, when I wrote that article in the county news about, you know, losing so many, uh, you know, black lives, uh, young black lives, and it was, it was, it was really focused on, um, on three people. And I mentioned your organization without even knowing you, because <laughs> one of the things that happens is when we have when there's an act of community violence, like the violence that took the life of a young Kendall Crank. Right. They say, well, y'all are out protesting about Dan Queers, Franklin and whatnot. What happens here? And people you organize people to to go to vigils. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's something that that you continuously do. And of course, that's not in the media, but but people in the community have got to know that it's happening. And it's up to people like us, like African Liberation Media and others, the county news and others to publicize those kinds of things that that people are. And, and it's something we've always done. I mean, really, back during the crack era, I remember there was a sister in uh, Detroit started an organization called So Sad, Save Our Sons uh, and and, and uh, Save Our Sons and Daughters. Mm. So sad. Um there was uh, African-American men against drugs in Dallas, right? Uh, right here in Reverend Barnett, we had, you know, the Stop the Killing uh, organization. So it's not, that, it's not that, that, that we haven't, but it's difficult. It's difficult as when, when there's an act of state-sponsored violence, mm-hmm. you can say police officer so-and-so pulled the trigger. And they are part a, of a public institution that's funded by the taxpayers and that they have a responsibility. When someone fires a, a, a shot, it's just a stray bullet and it hits Kendall Crank, who do you protest against? Where do you go? You have to protest against the, the event itself. And it, it's, it's not as easy to get people's attention focused on that as opposed to saying, well, Chief Putney, you got a problem, you know, in, right. in, in your department because you all don't practice de-escalation. 
because clearly that was an act when when uh, where de-escalation could take place. So so let me ask you all to, to try to try to connect the two, Patrice. First, with you in terms of in terms of uh, the, the state-sponsored violence that, mm-hmm. that, that 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 we see that is you know taking out you know people like you know Brother Franklin and Michael Brown Jr. and, and Tamir Rice and you know Akai Gurley and Freddie Gray and so and so and so many others. Uh, 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 Tanisha Anderson in Cleveland. I mean, so many. Amadou so, Diallo. Yeah, Amadou <laughs> Diallo. Right. So, so in, in in terms of see, to me, let me let me say this. This may not be. This is not popular, but I don't care about popularity. This to me is is the is one of the pitfalls of Black Lives Matter, because if Black Lives Matter, all Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. It, it you can't you can't just be frag it's fragmented. True. You can't just be focused on one aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And then when there are other acts, you know, you're silent. Mm-hmm. You're right. I mean, that would be like saying, well, Dr. King saying, well, OK, I'm, I'm a protest against bus segregation, but I don't care nothing about, you know, what's happening in the schools or something. I mean, just, I'm just, right, just throwing right. that example out. Right. It, it, it has to be holistic. But just talk to us a minute for a bit about because the three things uh, you, you mentioned uh Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, mm-hmm. and we just saw uh, black, officer, black officer black uh, officer convicted mm-hmm. in the same state uh, could see could receive uh, twelve to fifteen years, right. and the family got twenty million dollars right. compared to uh, you know what happened with uh, with brother Castile, and of course Keith Lamont Scott here no no attempt to de-escalate the situation with his wife hollering he has traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. right uh walter scott shot in the back in the back right mm-hmm. those, those kinds of things get our attention can you just talk about those things and and how mm-hmm. how we have to tie both of them together mm-hmm. well i think first to to address the blm movement um the movement for black lives which was the collective of Black-led organizing collectives from around the country, including Black Lives Matter, um, was um, a, a, an, a collective of multiple organizations um, that started and was, um, I think, released the August of 2016, I think the beginning of August, then they had a platform of 10 demands. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of it was um, sort of the economics, but then also creating a platform for more intentionality around Black-led organizations building relationship networks. and some of that has happened and some of that has not happened. And right. And so with, with the history of white supremacy, we have to always interrogate the ways in which we are always divided intraculturally. Right. And so the, the BLM movement, as it start when it started with um, Alicia Garza mm-hmm. and um, Patrice Cullors and Opal, I can't think of her last name right to now, Medi. but to, to Medi, mm-hmm. um it was very specific, specific to a particular issue, specific to um, the identities that they bring into the space and specific to, and it wasn't specific to turning into a national movement. Mm -hmm. Um, What the media, however, did was turn it into more. And we, in an attempt to reclaim that Black Lives Matter, um, it sort of exploded in the same ways that other hashtags have exploded. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there's a lot to interrogate in how the Black Lives Matter movement started to how components of it were co-opted for media. And the Ford Foundation. and, and, uh, And Soros. And, you know, now there's all kinds of... Uh, philanthropy, uh, you know, centered <laughs> around quote unquote social justice that ties, you know, it, there's this a whole, that'd be a whole nother show. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time within community, what I always reflect on is what does the history tell us about violence in our communities today? Mm-hmm. Right. And where is the connection back to the book? Michelle Alexander in chapter one talks about the rebirth of caste, right. And from chattel slavery to, Someone saw that indentured whites and enslaved Africans somehow discovered that we have similar economic conditions. Mm -hmm. And what white supremacy told us then was there has to be some sort of division of power. Right. right? So 
how can we sort of create this baseline of power where the indentured whites will never have to question their sameness with these Africans? Um, and that Michelle Alexander teaches us that that system of social order recalibrated at every point of what we've determined as civil rights in our history. And it's no different now, right? And, and the trauma that's associated with that um, continues to spiral in these industrial complexes within our community. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes, you know, sometimes it manifests as colorism. Sometimes it manifests as classism. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it manifests, it manifests as other things and un not under, not having a contextual con a context of the history of how white supremacy sort of did its thing. And now the cycle just perpetuates itself because if we think about the way that ghettos were created, mm -hmm. right? We already, in 2019, we already all live on this side of town. Mm -hmm. So those who hold power don't have to do as much because they've already created the concentrated area where people who um, are most oppressed and marginalized will turn on themselves, right? And so having the history to understand that gives us an opportunity to really go deep within our community to radically change and transform that. And I think BLM and the movement for black lives in 2016 was an offering to the global community really, but the national community here in the States around black led organizations leading that for, um, the transformation of black communities across the country. Mm -hmm. And just like neighborhoods are being gentrified, the movement is being gentrified. And it, there's, you know, people are profiting off of the movement now. Um, and what's unfortunate is that as the system of social order continues to recalibrate, that recalibration is creating more trauma and more violence and more problems within the community because they've continued to separate us from learning the history and the ways in which that social order or even just the language of social order um, was designed for the, the results that we're seeing. Um, and, and educate to engage, like my goal and, and my space, I think, in the movement is to continue that part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, and I can't say this enough, you know, the network of relationships with those who hold different expertises, whether it's the different, the directly impacted folks, or even some of the, your scholarship. I mean, I read your blogs and um, where it can be beneficial to a specific thing that I'm working on, but broadly, like you said, that holistic approach is so important for people with melanin to really, um, to really, what is the word I'm looking for? To really embrace um, and Take dig into, because that's where our power is, mm -hmm. right? right? That's where our power mm -hmm. is. And those who hold power know that. Mm -hmm. And they use all of the capacity and all of the resources that they have. We see that so much in Fortress Charlotte um, to continue to have us turning on each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Black Lives Matter was an attempt at a national level to get us thinking about that. Mm -hmm. um, and in other you know, larger communities like a Baltimore or a Chicago or a D.C. or Detroit, um, they've taken the, the sort of the BLM framework theoretically and equipped and enabled black led organizations within those communities to continue to do those work and then also find each other in Charlotte, much of the, the holistic approach, in my opinion, of the black lives matter and the movement for black lives um, imploded. Right. Because we had Charlotte has created a community so divided. These, this whole notion of two Charlottes. Charlotte has created such a division within the community that um, it's difficult for um, organizations to build networked relationships that are centered on black led leadership in the space that we're in around criminal justice um, that um, intentionally um, hold space mm -hmm. for the leadership of directly impacted folks um, because it's all being gentrified all at the same time. Right. So we've got a tremendous amount of work to do, but I appreciate moments like this where we can learn more about the history or have sort of a conversation about lived experience to political education to tying into all the scholarship um, that folks can take from and then take action from. Exactly. And it's no different, too, if you don't mind just one second, mm -hmm. what she was saying, yeah. it, what they did with the movement with the Black Panthers. Mm -hmm. 
you know, when she right. was stating about how, you know what I'm saying, how the BLM was created for a right purpose at one time. But then they see that this purpose really could be something uh, bigger than what they could ever imagine. So they find ways to try to slide in and, you know, infiltrate it as right. much as possible. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that you experienced then when money started getting involved, people start losing the focus. You know what I'm saying? But the, the the sad part is, is that when you got strong brothers and sisters such as Patrice and others, you know what I'm saying? And you have these sisters and brothers out there who are really grounded in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like our people are so afraid of, you know what I'm saying, of, 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 of believing that it could happen. Somebody told me something yesterday. They say, Jim and I, it, the problem is, is they don't believe. They don't believe that this sister right here can move mountains. Yeah. When she tell them that she can. They don't believe so it's hard they, for them to follow. Yeah, they don't because believe they things don't can believe. change. They don't believe things can change. Exactly. Let me let me ask you this <laughs> specifically. Um one one of the things I did and um uh, there, there were two things I did in that article. First first I said that that this problem of and the the violence, you know, see now, now we we're students of Dr. Amos Wilson, right? And so you know, he's the foremost scholar, you know, on this subject. Uh, it's, 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 going, it's going to take a mass movement uh, equal to a greater than, probably greater than the civil rights movement to solve the total complexities of, of this. Because this is not like a lunch counter or a school bus. Right. Right. This, this, this problem is extremely, yes. it's extremely complex. Um, but 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 let me ask you this, um, uh, Jim and I, and, and a lot of this probably took place while while you were incarcerated. How long have you been? been about three years. Now. Been out been out three years. Okay, a little over three years. So 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 what happened was that the the community itself began to um, rebel against crack, cocaine, and the the amount of violence that was taking place. The police want to take a lot of credit, but really it was a lot of organizations that you know that people never heard of or some that may may know they 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 they're not a movement like the civil rights movement but but here you had uh a lot of Harriet Tubman's mm-hmm. okay that, that 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 were going they were going they were they were getting young people you know like brother Reggie Singleton at the Males plays Adrian Sunday out and others getting young people pulling them out putting them into some kind of positive programs and so we actually brought the violence down, not to the levels of where it should be, but it was, there's been a, there was a significant reduction. Now, uh, last year in 2018, Charlotte, I think, had 53 murders. We've already had 50. And we're averaging 10 a month. We have, we've already had 50 so far in 2019. So, so based on your knowledge of the streets and what, what you see, what do you attribute it? Because see, as you know, social scientists could say, okay, we see, we see the uh, introduction of crack. You know, we see the uh, dislocation of black males from the from the job force. We see the disintegration of the black family. We see those things, so we can say, okay, this is how uh, the Crips and Bloods became, uh, you know, what, uh, Bone Sloan calls, you know, the <laughs> bastards of the party. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So, but, but right now, I right now, know where you're going with right it. now in our community, <laughs> social scientists are saying like, what happened? Why, why I, is this I, taking I can, place? I can tell you why it's taking place. Okay. You can answer it yourself. Basically the age group is 18 to 30. Am I correct? For yeah. the majority of the violent That's crimes. True. Yes. Go back 30 years. What happened 30 years ago? Mass incarceration. Okay. Mass incarceration took away the adults that actually could lead the youth that were behind. Okay. Break so it, it down, took brother. away the fathers. This eight. I keep telling people, mm-hmm. 18 to 30, these are mass incarceration babies. Okay. They didn't have fathers. They, they raised themselves. They didn't have leaders. See, even during my time, when the drugs were still heavily out there, we still had leaders in the street because mass incarceration wasn't affecting the community. Mm-hmm. Mass incarceration affected everything you just said. Jobs, homes, fatherless children, mm-hmm. uh, uh, mentors, leaders in the community. We didn't have no one that looked like us that could lead us. Mm-hmm. 
You feel what I'm saying? So as me as a young man, when I was 22, taken away, I, I was taken away from a, a kid that was two years old. So I couldn't give him the knowledge that he needed. Mm -hmm. So when he turned 18 to 20, he was already in jail with me. Mm. So that's what happened. And this is what they're trying to create now. It's so these are, these are the children of the new Jim Crow. Exactly. That's exactly. And it's getting ready to happen again. And it's going to happen again this time with the heroin. Because they're going to target us with the heroin because it's not the crack anymore. Mm -hmm. They're going to give out boatloads of time to all the African-American males. And they're going to save all the white people mm -hmm. and say that it's, since it's an epidemic and they need to, they need help. So Two to three so, years so from now. Let me ask you this. So, so is, is the, uh, the, the quote-unquote opioid crisis, which in our community is heroin, is it actually having the same impact that, that crack had? It's, it, it's having a, to me personally, it's having a, a worse impact on... In our community. Not not per se in our community. But then again, I can say because you see more younger people, mm -hmm. like it was in the 60s and the 70s, we've seen a lot of young people using heroin. Mm -hmm. That's how it is now in our community. Okay, so now when I grew up, you know, it was like exactly. This. Okay, so what are they but doing see, it, now? It, it, it's going to advance because they okay. didn't start straight off putting the spike in their arm. Mm -hmm. They started off putting it in their nose. They started off what they used to call back in the day was chasing the dragon. Mm -hmm. You feel what I'm saying? Well, they smoked it off right. aluminum foil or whatever. They yeah. smoked heroin also. Okay, so what are they doing now? Snorting is the main thing that they're doing. Okay, but what's going to happen is three to five years from now, every corner you're going to see somewhere where, where a white person can go for rehab for heroin mm -hmm. and you're going to start seeing our young black males deteriorate from the street they're going to be gone they're going to start incarcerating them again we're going to have another influx a boom of incarceration again you just as well as those numbers drop you best believe they're going to pick them back up because you ain't seen them go nowhere when them numbers drop and tow one of them prisons down and build some private owned property houses right there for, right. for individuals coming out of prison. Right. You're not going to see them tear right. not one of them prisons down. Yeah. And with the private prison industry, you have to have a certain amount of bodies in there at all times. Exactly. exactly. You think they're talking about turning that down? Of course. And it's on the stock market. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. That's right. why they, the private prison companies are getting into reentry work. Exactly. Right? right. Okay. Everything's right. changing, just like mm -hmm. with what my sister Patrice always uh, the, 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 about the ankle monitors. You yeah. feel what I'm saying? That's going to be a big thing. Right. Mm -hmm. It's going to they're going to find prison. a way to make money off our black backs if we don't, as a people, don't wake yeah. up. Right. One one of the things that uh, it was the Vera Institute, and I, I can't get my page to come up, but uh, if you all go if you go on the African Liberation Media page, you can find it. Uh, one of the things that the uh, the Vera Institute uh, in the, in this recent study, they were talking about how the uh, prison population had had declined, mm -hmm. and uh, but they said that a lot of states were resisting it, and one of the, one of the things that they're doing is they're putting more people on probation, okay, and setup tool. That's exactly right. Be, 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 because then, because then they they wind so they can say, well, we 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 issued the reforms. We didn't send them to jail. We put them on. We on put probation. them we put on probation. Correctional and, control. And then yeah. and then and and then when when they violate the parole, or oh, we gave them a chance. Now we got to send them. Now we got to send them to jail because it's so, rooted in legislation. It's rooted in legislation. And and okay, so so now here's something. Maybe you all can answer. Um, uh, when the generation that preceded me scared the crap out of the white power structure of this country, mm -hmm. okay, the I wish I was in the generation that was born <laughs> be between 1925 and 1950. These were the people. Uh, Malcolm X was born in 1925. Dr. King in 29. Then you had. The Huey Newtons, Angela Davises, Kathleen Cleavers, Bunchy Carters, Fred Hampton, Bobby Seal, Bobby Seal, Kwame Ture, all, all of these guys were were uh, H. Rap Brown were born in the 1940s. That's Brilliant scholars parents. like you know ain't this this brother Amos Wilson, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. What was George's brother name? I forget his uh, name. Jonathan Jackson. Jonathan, young yeah. Jonathan. Yeah. So also so these Soldier. so these guys uh, these guys like they scared the crap out of the, the white power structure because they said this is not supposed to happen. We're supposed to have these people so beaten down, so brainwashed, they're not supposed to, okay, so so they want to ride on the front of the bus, we'll give them that. Next thing you know, black power. Oh, wait a minute, hold tight, you know. That's too <laughs> much. Now, right. now, now, now you're going too far. <laughs> so, so now we got to take action. 
And so part of the action was the the new Jim Crow. That's I right. mean, so that was part of the action because, okay, first of all, they say we got to those that we that, that we absolutely can't do anything about, we got to eliminate. So we got to kill Malcolm. We got to kill Bunchy. We got to kill Fred. Mm-hmm. We got to incarcerate Geronimo. Right. Got to kill we, Jonathan in the fi- the five. Yeah, and we got you know we we got we got we got we got to run Assad Shakur out of the country. Yep. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things. So so they, they they wiped out a whole level of leadership. Of leadership. Okay, that you never go this direction. It never happens if the Black Liberation Movement is able to continue. The path that but it was on. But it's the same thing that's happening okay. now with okay. mass incarceration, okay, like so, I just told you, so, 18 to 30. Some okay. guys like me. So they, it's, it's just out of fear that a Fred Hampton might just might rise up. Might be there. Uh, just, just out of the fear. Because like I tell people, even with my popularity when I was a youngster, I didn't understand how popular I was at the time. Mm-hmm. But white folks understood it. Okay. So you, was a pro- you, gonna, you might be a problem. Mm-hmm. So we got to get rid of you by any means necessary. Okay, look, we run out of time, but I got, I got a couple. <laughs> I got a couple other quick, quick, quick things I need to ask you. Um, what impact did the media of that day, particularly the music and the images that you were seeing, how did it? How did that impact your generation? In well, terms of the things that you all were seeing, in terms of well, media, the, N, the N word, the B word. NWA was the hardest. Like, they brought what a lot of the kids listening to today who they don't even know who NWA is. Mm-hmm. And the followers and the, and, the, and, the, and the rappers that be rapping about stuff. But NWA, even though they brought the N word and they brought a lot of provocative stuff with it, they were still using it in a way that it was in a cultural sense mm-hmm. of who we were. And how they were being rebellious against white people, racism, police officers, and things like that. It was political. Exactly. They just did it from a political standpoint, mm-hmm. but they said things that, that that wasn't supposed to be said over the radio. Yeah, but what about the self-destruction? Oh, that was, and that's what I'm going to next. Okay. When self-destruction came, which was more positive, we had positive rap. And positive music, along with N.W.A., Big Daddy Kane, uh, uh, Special Ed, uh, uh, what's the brother name? And uh, KRS-One. KRS-One. That's who I was looking for. Mm-hmm. KRS-One. We had conscious rappers at the same time. They would be saying political things also, mm-hmm. which kind of I believe kind of helped structure my mindset just from knowing what they was rapping about then, mm-hmm. and I look at it now. Mm-hmm. Them brothers was ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. They're Public way ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. So we look at stuff now, the music that we see now and listen to now, they just saying anything. I mean, they literally saying anything. And the only thing they talk about is Molly and Percocets and sipping it's syrup. All, it's and, all destructive. It's the exactly. disconnection it's, it's from all, the history yeah, again. It's, 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 to, it's, it's, it's totally destructive. And of course, you know, it's, it's, it's the white power structure. You know, it's the, part the, of it. The Jews, the Jews that run this, all this. Uh, look, I have... Man, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. I mean, yeah. you guys got to come back, okay? <laughs> I, I, I We've get, been told I, that I, all the time. <laughs> we get I, that a lot. I give you, I give you, I give you, I give you six months to recalibrate, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and we'll come back. But, uh, but let me just let me just ask uh, each one of you uh, as we close out, uh, just to uh, just to give us a, 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 a closing positive word, Patrice. First, you, and then then Gemini. Just a closing positive word. Know your power, people. Know your power. You might want to tell them where they can find you at. Well, you can find me on social media. My handles on Instagram is um, edu, the number two, engage, and educate to engage LLC on Facebook. The next New Jim Crow series will be um, in the fall, um, but we do a lot of programming. We do some programming with the Library Learning Circle, with the Charmec Library. Um, just hit me up. Um, I'm always happy to have conversations, um, and I'm really passionate about partnering up and collaborating. So, um, again, <laughs> just remember, people, that you know we hold power. We have power, and, and that's our greatest opportunity. Okay, Brother Gemini. Um positive word for me is that I want my people to wake up. I want my people to unite, be strong, the individuals that they are, because I truly believe that with the people, we can do anything, especially black people, man. Mm -hmm. There's nothing we can't do, but they found a way to disengage us and separate us. Mm -hmm. 
But my positive word for my people, man, is to for us to wake up okay, and so unite. And you can find me at uh, Gemini Ladera on Facebook, Project Boat CLT on Facebook, Project Boat CLT, Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. You can find me and Nyla Dare on Instagram also. And also, please subscribe to what I'm calling my new uh, hashtag, No More Status Quo. No meaning that we don't need no more status quo with uh, legislation, leadership, or anything like that. You just subscribe to that on YouTube. Okay, and yours was no more bystanding. No more bystanding. No more yeah. bystanding. That's right. Listen, we've, we've, we've truly enjoyed this. Uh, what you said reminded me of uh, what the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey said, and it, these are not his exact words, but this is the way I have uh, contextualized it. He said, what African people have done, African people can do. So we can liberate and empower ourselves. Say that. This has been the African Liberation Media, Abiba Fahodier. Power or the lack of power. I'm going to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not job, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power. Power. Uh, buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power. Uh, if it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.